Welcome to the Men on Purpose podcast, featuring dynamic conversations with emerging and established visionary men on purpose. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate the men on purpose who are committed, creative, courageous change makers, living their best, most fulfilling life possible. Now, here's the host of Men on Purpose, Ian Lobos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Men on Purpose podcast. Today, I have my very special friend, Austin Linney on. Austin is a, he's a remarkable dude. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Austin. I'm going to tell you what we, what we talk about in the episode. But first, just a reminder, anything you want to know about our guests, we get, we get emails and texts all the time. Anything you want to know about our guests, you can just go to the website. It's either my name, ianlobos.com, or it's mentalonpurposepodcast.com. Uh, check it out because there's going to be uh, a free course coming out really, really soon, probably in the next couple weeks. And, um, you're going to want to grab that. It's really, really good. I've been working on it for a couple months. Um, also don't forget if you haven't already done it, please make sure you subscribe to the mental purpose podcast on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you love it, super simple. And if you do that and then you DM me your screenshot, I'll send you a free mental purpose t-shirt. It's really cool. I got, I got a ton printed up. We got, we got rid of 50 before. I've got 100 more coming. So keep those reviews and subscriptions rolling in, and I'll keep dishing out t-shirts. Anyway, so let me tell you about Austin. This, this episode is a lot of fun. It goes deep. It's really honest. It's really authentic. And for any of you that have been wondering, can I do this? I don't know. I, I you know, I've been to the bottom, you know, maybe had a, a, an issue with substance or an issue with, uh, you know, parental uh, damage <laughs> psychologically, um, you know, unconsciously, consciously, anything like that. I promise you this episode has all of that. And, and Austin is super, super, super authentic and honest about it. So Austin is a former service industry worker, veteran of like 20 years. And one day Austin said, enough's enough. And he turned into a serial entrepreneur. He's a real estate investor. He's a mindset and business coach. And he's got a really cool podcast called Construct Your Life. So you're probably wondering, as a coach and a podcast host, why do I bring other coaches and podcast hosts on? Because of my promise. You know, it's educate, elevate, enrich, empower, and evolve everything, right? Our environments, our mindsets, the information. And I want to celebrate other dudes doing amazing things on this planet, especially for other guys. And so Austin's one of those guys, and I wanted to bring him on to celebrate him. You guys are going to get so much out of this episode. Austin was rock bottom, like rock bottom early, like in his, in his early 20s, rock bottom, uh, substance abuse. Uh, we talk about really deep like really deep parental uh, conscious and unconscious programming control, you know, the stuff that can, can do you great or mess you up really badly. Uh, taking back control of your life, setting goals, charting a course on purpose with intention. Um, you know, we go to talking about the cues that the universe is delivering, right? The people, the, the people that it's delivering to help you stepping your way to success, literally one step at a time the power of friendship, you know, and sharing yourself openly to, to, to cultivate those friendships, um, starting a business from scratch, partnerships, good and bad, short-term rentals, you name it, we're talking about it. And like I said, Austin's getting really deep 
He's very authentic. He's super honest. Um, I love you listening to this podcast, and I'm also going to encourage you to go listen to Austin's podcast, Construct Your Life. It's, it's really good. He's got a, 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 just a, a great tone, a great message. He's got a great cadence with the guests. He's got some really cool people on there. So remember, ianloboss.com, mentalpurposepodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Take that screenshot. Shoot it over to me. I'm going to send you out a Mental Purpose t-shirt. I know that sounds kind of gimmicky, but I like these t-shirts. They're really fun. <laughs> Seriously, I've never been that kind of guy. These t-shirts are fun. You want one. They're black. They've got really sparkly gold mental purpose logo like that. It's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, sit back and relax and, and, and get ready to learn some stuff. Get your pen and paper out. It's going to be really important that you take notes on this one because Austin drops some really, really great knowledge. Now, here's the episode with Austin Linney. Enjoy. All right, Austin, welcome to the Mental Purpose Podcast, brother. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me here. My pleasure, dude. So for everybody listening, Austin's a friend of mine. We, uh, I, I want to say we go way back, but we don't. <laughs> we really don't know each other that well. We know of each other. And I, I you know, on, on this podcast, everybody knows, like, elevate, educate, empower, enrich, and evolve. And a, a, a part of that is celebrating. And, and I, I reached out to Austin because I want to celebrate what you're doing, dude. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think your message is cool. And I want people to learn from you as they learn from me and other people that they follow at a high level. So that's why you're now about to dish out your story, your pain, your shit, your failures, your successes to this audience. And, um, and you know, in the intro, I talked all about you, right? And I, I, I gave him your podcast and everything. So now it's just, who are you? Where'd you come from? Not literally, but like, I want to know the go back in time because there's one person listening to this, just like there's one person listening to your show that is like desperate for the information we're about to give. They want to know that they're not alone and you've got some deep, dark shit in your past. And I want however much you want to share, you do it, man. And then I'm just going to, I'm going to flow with you. I love it. And what's interesting before I get started on my story, we haven't really talked to each other in a while. And so it's almost like same with me hitting a moving target right. because who you are today is who you weren't two years ago. Right. And you so it's almost like aggressive. we're getting to know each other. Right. What's that? You said I was very aggressive. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I was aggressive too, I know. but, I know. but guys, you know, for me, it's interesting. I always paint the picture of, you know, I was, when I was growing up, um, you're younger and you don't know everything that's going on with your dad's business. Like, sure. you, you know, your dad is a doctor, but you, like, you know, like, Hey, we started off here and then wait, we moved across town and it was a way nicer neighborhood Yep. Yeah. and you're in middle school and you're like, I think daddy's making some more money. And then like, then like my dad's business started taking off. Like he was probably, my dad's probably one of the better known dentists in Texas, if, if not the United States. And then, um, I was, a rambunctious kid to say the least. Um, I had a very sharp mind. Uh, when I took this, you know, I took the, uh, the test, you know, you find out how much smart you are. I was very high. I had like a photographic memory. So, so for school, it, what, it didn't really do anything for me. I like sports. Um, when I was 16, my parents finally built their dream house. They, they built it on a golf course. It was, I mean, it was, it was an amazing house. It was, it was beautiful. We lived across the street from NBA players and all that stuff like that, you know, you could imagine. Yeah. And um, 
when I was 17, I, I just kept getting in trouble in school. Like I was having parties and just, it was just not engaged at all. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I even remember the restaurant we were at, what part of town. Uh, we sat down, I think it was around right before my birthday. And, and my parents were like, here's a choice, man. Uh, military school or you got to move to Beaumont. Oh. And I was like, I was like, what the fuck is Beaumont? And that's <laughs> where my parents were from. Oh. It's in the country, right? Where we used to go visit my grandparents. And I'm like, that's like country. That's way different than this nice yeah. sugar land, Texas, you know? And I was like, well, I really don't want to go to middle. I really don't want to go to military school. So I was like, you know, I, I think I'm going to do this. Like, like I was like, you know, it's fine. Like, so, so I'm 17 middle of my junior year and I just like leave high school. Yeah. Like people were like, I want to ask like, you something about that. Yeah. What's my that? parents, my parents threatened that a lot. Cause I think, I think society and school painted us as bad kids, but we were just bored to shit because the school system sucks. I don't know where it was like in Sugarland, but I know in Baltimore, in my experience, it was, it was terrible. And because I wouldn't sit still and follow directions and, and do the stuff in the conveyor belt, I was labeled as a bad kid, bad apple. I wouldn't succeed. I wasn't, I wasn't fit for anything. I'm, you know, I might as well just get a trade job and, or, you know, like, it just wasn't, it was, it was shitty. And my parents never had those conversations with me, but I want to know from you, like, what's that do to you when your parents don't do the work with you, don't really open a space for you to explore what the hell's going on inside of you and just decide that the option is to send you somewhere? You asked me a question I never even thought of before. Like yeah. you just opened a window into my 17 year old self. Like, I want to know, you know, it's funny. As I look back, and one of the big whys in my life is to create an after-school program or, yep. or, a, or a company for, for kids from 16 to, to 18, because I think that's where a lot of kids get lost. I think their schools are big. Yep. My school was probably the best high school in, the, in, in Texas, like as far as like grades, like the, the highest white kid for the class was like 63. Like, cause it was nothing but surgeons and Indians and, you know, you know, yeah. you know, affluent people from, from China and stuff like that. And, um, and when I look back on it now, and I was just talking about this with somebody the other day, when we were back at that time, everybody was put in such a box yeah. and there was no such thing as, as entrepreneurship. There was no such thing as out of the box thinking. It was, I don't understand. In sophomore year, he was making A's in class. Right. Now he's in class and he's making C's and, and D's. He just, he just doesn't give a shit. Well, that's so far from the truth. It's not fun. I wasn't challenged. It, right. it didn't do anything for me. Yep. Like when I can memorize, like here's what scares people with my mind. I was on the golf course the other day with some buddies in Arizona. And he was like, where are you? He goes, what are you doing right now? I go, I'm replaying our podcast together. He goes, what are you talking about? He said, that was a month ago. I said, I know I'm replaying our conversation in my head because I, how great it was. And he goes, I don't understand. You're calling, you're recalling the memory of the podcast from a month ago that we had yeah. and you do 10 a week. And I go, yeah, exactly. And so that's how my mind works. Right. But here's the kicker with somebody like that. When I don't want to do it, it's like so far the other way, yeah. you know, I just like, I don't even want to touch it. <laughs> it's either on or off we're very similar in that respect like yeah school wasn't shitty it wasn't challenging because you've got to you've got to move the herd 
and you mm-hmm. don't have people that are that are not thinking about jobs. There's the majority of people are thinking about college and thinking about their job placement and what job they want and how much money they want to make from that job. You can't, there needs to be schools for people like us that say, we're, we're just not going down that road. So can you please teach yeah. me something that I actually need to know for my world and not a world, right? That, that would Dude, be- what- Really what hard. I've been doing that you would love is I'll be my friends like that I have on the podcast and they'll tell me about their kid yeah. and then I'll jump on a zoom call with them and their kid and I'll just go off for 45 minutes and like a 13 year old would look at me and he's like, yeah, they're not teaching that in school. Right. I'm like, no, I just changed your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And dude, it, is, it is about, I want to stay here for a second because if you've never been asked that, then there's some, there's some cool shit we're going to do with that. So yeah. my fascination with coaching is I had a coach probably 10 years ago who the first thing he said to me was, how bad did your mom and dad fuck you up? Like, what, what, what does that have to do with anything? And he's like, it has everything to do with everything who you are today, what choices you made when you were 15, 18, 22, whatever it was. And I became fascinated with understanding that in other people. And so Mm. my coaching practice is built on, personal evolvement based on traumas, past conditioning, patterning, and the mm-hmm. shit that happened to you from age, you know, five to 18 and how that shaped your entire world. Because what you're going to tell the audience is the result of, you know, I'm not like, you're, so we, your parents made a decision. It's a decision mm-hmm. they made and there was a consequence and a reaction and, you know, something happened afterward. But yeah, my, my parents didn't do that extreme, but like my, my, I don't, my parents just didn't understand how to deal with me as that type of kid. Mm-hmm. When I look at my daughter, who's an exact version of me, you've seen her on Facebook. Like she's yeah. an exact mm-hmm. version of me. You watch her hand movements, her head tilts because I'm her model. And I, I think to myself, I would just sit down and ask her questions to find out what's going on. Because as a young uh, growing person, she doesn't know the emotion she's feeling. She has no idea what that's about or how to mm-hmm. process that. She's never been taught. And mm-hmm. I think one of the only things that the, the human can't teach themselves is how to process emotions, at least not in my experience. They can, you, can, you can walk. Your body can heal bones. You can learn how to talk. It just knows. But as far as processing feelings and emotions inside, it is, uh, I, I don't know if that's learned. I, I think, or I there's think that's this, learned. There's this, there's this comedian that I listened to lately um, who's just the funniest SOB. His name is Theo Vaughn. Yeah. And he was on Joe Rogan and he had, he was talking about why he got sober. And long story short, I'll just glaze over some stuff. When, when he was born, his dad was 78. Like, like it was crazy shit, right? Country, redneck. Yeah. He said, the reason I drank and the reason I fought so much is because I had no idea how to feel. Like my family was so different. I had no idea how to feel. I had no idea how to process why my dad was so old, why I couldn't call him dad. They wanted me to call him this. So people didn't think it was weird. Right. And it made me think like, fuck, like, like, yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense because like, if you don't have a stable, like no, no offense to my parents, but if you don't have somebody stable that can walk you through the emotions of why you're feeling that way, 100%. You, you, of course you can't know. And so, you know, on the story, so I moved to the country. So true story. <laughs> this is my favorite part. I went from 4,400 kids in my class to 90. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
But here's the kicker. So we're talking, guys, I described the house, you know, nice. Yeah. I go to school the first day. I drive my car and there are nothing but trucks and boats in the school parking lot. And I'm like, trucks and boat, like boats on trailers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, Hmm. Okay. I don't know what that means, but okay. We'll just go to school. Well, of course I'm the new kid from the city. So like, you know, the girls didn't weren't mad or anything, you know, but all these dudes were wearing camo in school. And I'm right. like, what the, f- what the fuck are they wearing camo for? And I asked one dude and he's like, what? He's like, you didn't go duck hunting this morning at 3 a.m.? And I'm like, no, I was asleep, bro. And, and then, so, like, I realized I was in a – this was a whole different whole different environment. Well, fast forward a month and a half. I, my dad says, hey, I'm coming in town. My dad still lived in Houston at the time. I was living with my mom. So, like, we're going to separate, but I'm only coming here so we can get you through school, and then I'll move back. Well, a month and a half in, my dad sits me down and he's like, so we're getting divorced. Hmm. And I'm like, trauma, trauma, trauma. I'm like, wait, you don't fight. I'm like, I don't, excuse me. And then, so then in that moment, whether, which it was so false, but that took me 20 years to realize I said to myself, okay, you're such a bad kid that you were so bad that you have moved your mom out of the house. And because you moved your mom out of the house, your parents got divorced. Damn dude. That's heavy. That's deep. And so for 20 years, that's what I told myself. Oh shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 you know, this is, this is, this is why parents learning how to understand their own emotions to then speak with their children, even if you don't get what your kid's going through, even if your kid is so different from you, to be able to sit and hold a space for your kid to feel safe, to say, I'm feeling this every day. I'm feeling like I want to jump off a bridge, or I'm feeling like I want to scream, or I'm feeling like I want to hit somebody every day. Like when my teacher talks to me, I want to stab him with a pencil, whatever it is, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. That shit builds, man. It's a pressure cooker in most kids because they have no outlet. And the outlet becomes the external. Sports, Mm -hmm. drugs, sex, and the activities that stimulate the mind and distract the mind Mm -hmm. away from the pain and the fear and all the shit that you feel on the other side. That is, like, if you think about the choices, and this is why, this is why, what I told you this morning, or just now, what I posted on Facebook was, shit happens, it's your choice after that as to what happens next, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's how you take it. It's how you feel. It's how you respond to it. And like your parents made a choice, but you didn't mm-hmm. have the education and fuck school, man. That's not the edu- That's not education. Schooling is what you do. That's schooling. That's not education. People confuse those things big time. When you mm-hmm. go and you sit in a class and they tell you what to learn and when to learn it and when to go to lunch, that's schooling. It's not education. Mm-hmm. Education is what you and I do out in the world, learning from people, making mistakes, testing and, you know, your parents made a decision that set into motion all of these choices that you had to make because you had no education behind the choices you were making. It was pure emotion, right? Yeah. Pure, no, 100%. Pure emotion. And, and what's interesting is, so on the back of that, now, granted, I, I don't have all these times down, like on spot on, but in the back of that, I would say six months, maybe seven months after that, my dad was dating somebody that worked 
in his office. And so it was like, bam, bam, bam. Like, well, she had two kids. And so here I am playing sports. And, you know, my dad was still coming, but I'm upset they're getting divorced. And I'm like, you know, fuck you. And, and we start getting in this fucking, me and him start going back and forth and it gets pretty nasty. And, uh, you know, I'm not easy to deal with on a good day, you know, back then. So I can only imagine how bad I was to deal with on a bad day. Sure. And so, you know, I, I went through school and in and, and that first eight months of that new school was very hard for me. I was very city. These dudes were very country. They liked to fight. They yeah. like to fight the they like to fight the city guy yep. just because thank god i mean like i'm telling you right now almost getting emotional thinking about my three best friends um to this day where i'm going to see him in, in three weeks and we're gonna go play golf and i mean these dudes like you know i play baseball with them in football and they like protected me and, he, and here's you gotta understand guys i'm explaining something that not a lot of people understand yeah i went from the city where i was a running back and a safety to I, damn too. this kid's huge and he needs to be a linebacker and a defensive end. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not that big of a guy, you know? And so it's just, a, there was a lot of things going on. So, so what happened was my parents grew up in the restaurant business and um, I want to get a job. So I had a job back in the day, but it was nothing marble slab. And so I got a job at a restaurant. And if you don't know the restaurant business, especially back in the day, maybe cleaned up a little bit it was highly, highly charged with, with drugs and alcohol yeah. all the time. Um, and I wound up finding out that I, I worked at one of the, the worst restaurants in the city and, and everybody was doing, you know, drinking and doing Xanax and, and so on and so on. So then I got a better job at a better restaurant where I was making a lot more money, which was nice. So I was, I was bar backing, but, but I tell this story and it's, it's a hundred percent true. If you think I'm lying, come check me on it. When I got trained the first day, the training guy goes, hey, man, so here's the deal. You can get cocaine from that guy. You can get weed from that guy. You can get meth from that guy. Like, that was my training. He was like, we got everything covered here, right? And so, you know, we would, we would party on a Friday night after work, and we would do some cocaine. Nothing, no big deal. You know, cocaine, you're done. You go to bed. Like, no big deal. Um, well, as that went on for a couple of weeks, you know, somebody introduced me to, to methamphetamines, uh, you know, glass, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, we would do it on a Friday. And so, you know, you're not sleeping for shit. And then you're working 12 hours the next day on a Saturday. And so that was just like a Friday night. Right. After like a couple of weeks, after a couple of weeks, Friday night turned into Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you would, I'm still working 68 hours a week. And so, over time, I moved in with a guy, um, which I found out later on that he was like the second biggest drug dealer in Southeast Texas. All right. So like his, so people would come over on like a Tuesday and we'd be off on like a Tuesday and like dude would just drop off like a ton of drugs and we'd just be like cleaning the apartment like all day, you know, just like, it's just like your day off. Like you're, you know, you're not sleeping much, you right. know. Well, how old and, and, by the way when this was happening? Uh, I think I was like 19. 19 or 20. Yeah. And so what people don't tell you about, and I, and I help a lot of people through recovery. Um, there's so much shame associated with doing it and, and knowing that you're letting your parents down, knowing, letting your, you know, I tell the story. I always tell this story. My dad came into town 
I kind of remember like it was yesterday. It's Christmas Day. Basketball's on the TV. I'm sitting at my desk. It's 10 a.m. We've got lunch for my birthday at 11.30. And I had slept in like two days. And I was like, ah, there's no way I can go to this fucking lunch. I mean, there's no way. Like, I'm sitting there doing drugs. Like, And so I made up some fucking bullshit story about how my car broke, you know, all this fucking bullshit. He drove all the way in from Houston, you know. And so when you start doing those things and you start lying and like, it's just, dude, it's just this vicious cycle of just like beating yourself up and then you're hurting people you love. And it's just like this. And so what was the backbreaker for me? I'm a weird guy. I've always had like a military personality. It was my birthday. Um, The next birthday? It was my next birthday. Was a year later. Let me see if I can relive this whole story. I think I was 20. So long story short, we got a lot of good drugs for my birthday and we stayed up like on a bunch of cocaine. And um, I wound up staying up for seven days straight. So no sleep. Yeah. On the back of that, I was taking, I had 40 Xanax with me. So I was taking Xanax at night to try to go to bed. So you're just this, this Whoa. yo-yo. Yeah. And so like on day five, I started seeing rabbits everywhere, but yet there were no rabbits anywhere. <laughs> and so, um, I had probably lost like 25 pounds, like I I think a good 25 pounds and an ex-girlfriend saw me and she was like, you look like you look terrible, like you've got to get shit together. And so when she said that to me, something snapped inside my head and I went home, I packed up all my shit and I just drove to Austin, Texas. Like I was like done. I was like, I put it down right there. Like the hard drugs. I was like, I'm just done lucky and uh i went to austin but just because you put down the hard drugs doesn't mean you put down the alcohol no no no. and so you know because that's so socially acceptable yeah you you needed to medicate because you had dude your your cycle of bad you know non-serving habits and choices and then the guilt and the shame and then the drugs fuel you back up to this and then it fuels you back down and that's a, a very vicious cycle down and so I'll tell this story. I've only told this story once and and you're going to fall out of the back of your chair. Uh, So long story short, there was a bar that stayed open for, for, for the restaurant I worked at just us. And they had like very strong drinks, very strong drinks. So we had had a good night that day. Like I had been working a bunch. I had a shitload of cash on me. And so there was like 10 of us and we're all drinking, taking shots and everything. And this is in North Austin. And I lived in by the campus. And uh, like we partied and I left. I shouldn't have been driving. I left. So think about this restaurant here. I'm driving straight down the highway. My apartment is right off the highway. Okay. Well, somehow I got turned around and went north. Oh boy. And wound up waking up in a neighborhood, like a suburban neighborhood. And I had ran over a mailbox with my car into his front yard. I was so freaked out. This is, I don't, still to this day, I don't even understand any of this next part of the story. I got jumped out of the car. The dude runs out on his driveway and I toss him my ID. (laughs) (laughs) It's a cop or something. I don't know. So I run down the street and I I, I get picked up by uh, this dude who's, I'm like, he's like, where are you going? I'll take you home. And I'm like, I like jump in the back of his truck and, uh, 
he, I'm like, you know, this is where I live. And he's like, okay, I'll take you home. So I'm like talking to him the whole time, I guess. I don't even know. Well, what I didn't tell, what I have never told anybody is that when I hit the mailbox, I freaked out so much that I shit on myself. Oh, fuck. So, so I shit on myself and the guy's like, you smell really bad. Like you smell like shit and like all this shit. And I was like, tell him like, oh, I've had some good nights at work. So he finally drops me off at my apartment. And when I got out of the car, he, he punched me. He mugged me for my money that was in my pocket. Like yeah. punched me, knocked me down, like took my 600 bucks. <laughs> so I go into the apartment, I take off all my shit and throw it in the, throw it in the bathtub and like go to bed. So like I woke up and I'm like, damn, that was some crazy ass dream I had. <laughs> like, and I and I look, I I pull down the the blinds outside. I'm like, my car's not there. It's not there. I don't think that was a dream. Oh, <laughs> and and so I'm like, and I've got to work a double that day. I've got to work a double. And I'm like, holy shit. Okay, okay. So I like call somebody. I'm like just lease work for me in the morning and i'm like what do i do what do i do oh my god what do i do what do i do and i'm like report your car stolen like i'm like report somebody stole your car right. and so i i called it in and they're like yeah your car's at this impound like you can come get it but you need to come talk to the detective first i'm like son of a i've never been in, i've never been in a cop station in my life yeah. so i walk into the austin you know detective room and there's like 10 cops in there and he's like come in here son and I'm like oh shit dude, I'm like dude, I'm just like sweating and I told him that I fell asleep at the wheel freaked out and, and ran like I was just so nervous did he buy it they couldn't prove it yeah. they couldn't prove it come to find out funny I got off like long story short I, I finally got my car out of impound like I got a ticket like three years later for like 4,000 bucks. They were like, you know, like leave, yeah, like leaving the scene of an accident, like all this shit. They didn't say anything at the time, but right. I got it later. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, I gotta get, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm like, this is, I'm not good here either. Like, I'm not good here either. So my buddy comes and gets me and he's, we're just driving down home. My car's totaled. He's just looking at me like, Shit Dude, you gotta get, you gotta get it together so i go to my mom's house and i'm there for like three weeks and i'm like just going out like hanging out with people like it's like fuck it like nothing happened right let me ask you something real quick because yeah. i'm just listening to the to the to the as you stretch the rubber band like from parents <laughs> making that decision and this fucking rubber band just stretching like at at any point just looking back and you're speculating but at any point because I think about my own insecurity and my own anxiety and fears when I was a kid. Uh, as I'm an only child. It sounds like you were an only child. Uh, no, but when, when, I, when my parents separated, my brother was seven years younger than me. He went with my dad. I went with my, him. So basically, kind of. Got it. Okay. So what I'm thinking is, there is a, there's a stop point, I believe, that if my parents at any point would have just sat me down and in the most loving and caring way instead of being like what the fuck is wrong with you like in that attitude you know, my parents never said what the fuck is wrong with you but like their attitude showed that if like tell me what you think about this if at any time your mom and dad would have just put you sit you down and said look we're we see what's going on and we understand that a lot of the things that we choices we made or things that we did like we want to understand how you feel inside we're here for you. We want to help you. Is there anything we can do for you? Is there anything you want to talk about? What, what do you think that would have done to you at that point? 
You think you could have heard I told, it? I, no, I told him fuck off. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was, on, I was, I was the official label of Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Because you know you're about to get to the point that you're you're wanting because you're about to hear exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. You set it up perfectly. So I get home one day, and my mom has all my shit out on the front lawn in a bag. Oh. She said, "This ain't a fucking hotel." Get your shit together. By the way, your dad cut off all your shit, your credit cards, your insurance, everything. Good luck. Damn. All right. So I get my bag. Same buddy. Yep. God love this man. Comes, picks me up again. Nowhere to live, no job, no car, no nothing. Parents cut me off. So for about three hours, I cry like a little fucking bitch. I mean, like, I mean, like, I'm like, oh, this shit just got real. Like real, real. Okay. I'm 21 and I'm at my buddy's house. It's my best friend's brother's house. We're sitting there. I'm having a beer. I'm like, fuck, I got no job. I got nothing. What the fuck? He let my buddy looks at me. He says, listen, one thing at a time. Yeah. He goes, can I get you work? Let me make a few phone calls. So he says, he calls this guy. He says, listen, this guy, he'll pick you up at 5 a.m. every morning. Five days a week, you were going to work 60 hours. You're going to lay tile and brick in mm. Texas. He's going to drop you off at six o'clock. He's going to pay you 15 bucks an hour. I said, I've, never, I've done neither of those things, but sounds great. I, I'm looking forward to it because I don't have a car. Right. So at that point, then my buddy's, my best friend's buddy who lives in the house, who he lives there, says, listen, bro, I got nowhere. The rooms are taken. I got nowhere for you to live, but, I, but we got something that might work. This is not an exaggeration. This is a real fucking story. This is true. I can tell you. I slept underneath the stairs in a 50 square foot, in a 25 square foot uh, closet with a fan and a single mattress. I slept in the closet like you see underneath stairs. How long? Uh, about three months. So I lived off of $40 a month in food. Uh, I ate ham sandwiches every day and I saved every dime I made. I used to read books during my lunch break at the job site. I used to read like Lance Armstrong book and I read some other stuff. And what, that, what, that, what I don't tell a lot of people is at night, sometimes the door would get locked, like shut in and I couldn't get out. Man. And so there's no light in there. This is before the phones had yeah. like the lights, you know, and there's a lot of time to contemplate your life when you were just on a country club right. yep. house and you're here and then you start thinking like, how'd this go? Wow. Some <laughs> stories, some, we got some, we, some shit fell off the rails somewhere in there. What I did is like my grandma said, listen, I got it. I got an old, my old Explorer. I'm not giving it to you. You can buy it. And so I, I paid her 1500 bucks for it. I saved up the money. And, I, and that, the day I got the car, I went back and got my bartending job back like that day. And I was back to making like real money. And then I got an apartment. And then it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a wild couple, like two years span there. It didn't, it didn't end there, but that was like the big turning point for me. So I want to, like you, you kept talking about this one guy and like different people. And... I, I have like, you're bringing it up big time. And I've, I've talked about this with other people, but I haven't talked about it on this podcast. 
I like do the there so much of the trajectory. Now look, everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. So that's it. It's the way the universe designs it because you wouldn't be able to be who you are today without all that shit. Because the most the most glamorous life possible doesn't it doesn't have any pain and fear and failure and doesn't have any heartache and strife. But I mean it does, but it doesn't have something that where if you choose that you want to be on a coaching journey, you know. I have a lot of people reach out to me about, about um, wanting to become a coach and, or they'll say to me like, Hey, do you take other coaches on? And I'll say, yeah, there's, there are clients that, that I, I get a lot of inquiries every day from our website, from the podcast for coaching. And I can't take everybody on. So I do have some of my buddies that are very high level that I will just, I will refer uh, people who come to me. If I can't take them on, I'll refer them out. But like, I'll, I'll always say to them, they'll go, well, look, I'll go, I'll go get a, I'll go get, um, I'm getting a coaching certificate this weekend or I'm going, I'm like, guy, look, you need to go out and fuck some shit up. You need to go out and get in trouble. You need to go out and make some real bad decisions because the only way for you to actually coach somebody, not um, talk with somebody and let you be a sounding board and actually help that person creating space and advice, moving them forward in life toward their goal is by experiencing shit. You have to experience things. And so, yes, all these things happen to you for a reason. Can't fight it, can't deny it, it happened. But I I always wonder, because I don't know, I mean, my mom will listen to this and she'll she'll be a little pissed, but like my mom felt the same way I did. And my mom's parents were fucking nightmares, right? Nightmare people. Ego, narcissist, nth degree, probably sociopathic tendencies. So... Of course, my mom's bred like that. She's got to unbreed herself from all those tendencies, but she doesn't know how to talk to me because nobody knows how to, nobody talked to her. Nobody asked her what she was feeling or if she was doing okay. I, mm. I wonder, I wonder how long it would take to stop that ball spinning if you accidentally go down that road. Like me as a parent, I think about that. One, I, my kids will always have a full line of open, clear, and authentic communication and honest, honesty with me, right? So that's, that's my commitment to change the next generation so my kids don't have to deal with the same shit I dealt with. I just am so curious, and obviously it's hypothetical, like what would it have taken to stop that? You know what I mean? It was only two years, really. Think about it, maybe well, two, well, three years for you. Well, what's interesting is Omar, my, my coach gave me the, one of the greatest uh, quotes ever. He says, you coach what you've been through. Right, right. You coach what you've been through. And yep. if you look at my coaching clients that find me, I don't know how the fuck. The universe delivers. I'm like, dude, dude, literally like two minutes in, I'm like, oh, I got you. Like, right, I've right. already been through that. We're good. Right. And he's like, that quick? And I'm like, yeah, I already went through the hell for you, bro. I got you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's the defining, that's the, that's the definition that we want to be real clear on today is that same with education and schooling. When you go to school, you are being schooled. You're not being educated. You might be learning some things, but you're not being educated. It's the difference between someone who you can talk to and banter with, who might have a mm-hmm. couple pieces of, of advice, versus a coach who can see you and feel you and take you somewhere without you having to experience all the shit, unless you choose that, which is fine. You know what I mean? Well, what's interesting is it's something that I do, and, and, and I've been to plenty of therapists, which did, none of them helped. None of them. But- I coach my clients as if I'm coaching the version of them six months from now. I speak to them that way. And then I pull them through to that version of themselves. A coach points out what's great in you. A therapist wants to go backwards. One of the greatest things I ever heard in my life is an Olympic athlete who had had 
bulimia, like went to like 10 therapists and she's like, wants to kill herself. And he's like, let's talk about your childhood. And she goes, motherfucker, I'm just trying to make it to Tuesday. And you want to talk about me as a, as a 10, in a year from now, we can get there. Can we get me back up on stable ground? Like, you know what? There there is validity. Look, I've only had one therapist that really, really worked out well. I'm not going to say her name, but she's the only female therapist I really ever had. She did, she did a great job with me because she was aggressive with me. She played into the future self like you're talking about, but she also, she, you have to go to the past because the past yeah. has the wiring. Yep. Like for a person that has yeah. a very acute situation like that bulimia, like you got to take care of a couple little pieces of, of, of doing now to get them yep. through the next week. And then you can go back the next week and go, all right, so let's check out where this came from because we're not going to free you from it unless we unwire you from it. You know? 100%. I couldn't how, agree more. So you're how old? How old are you now? Well, what's interesting, I want to finish off the stories because everybody thinks that I got out of the closet and shit was rosy. And, and uh, well, I had a feeling it was I'm, I'm, I'm 38 years yeah. old. So that was at 21 ish, 22. Yeah. Um, and then proceeded to be a functioning alcoholic for 20 years. Sure. Um, um, what my joke, my joke with everybody, and it's the fucking truth, and you can hate me for it or don't. If we were in a business meeting, and I busted out an eight ball of cocaine and did it. Everybody'd be like, "That guy's out of fucking control." <laughs> right. Yep. Hundred percent. If that, if Frank over there drinks a case of beer a day, Frank just likes beer, because we made alcohol so socially acceptable, right? And so, especially in the restaurant business, especially a high end bartender, I was never like, I was always felt like I was spinning my wheels. Like I was, I was working, I was doing everything, but I was never kind of done. And so. Uh, what happened was, is I get a phone call. We're getting traction in life. No, I wouldn't get traction in life. I get a phone call right after I joined M1. Yep. I get a phone call, and my dad says, I can't hold it in anymore. I, I just have to let you know. And I'm like, what, the, what are you talking about? And he says, I just want you to know that the reason we got divorced is because your mom cheated on me. Wow. And I'm like, hmm. Then I got really angry. Yep. And I was like, you two sons of bitches. I was like, have kept this shit. How long did they keep it? How, when was it? 20 years. Oh, 20 years. Oh, right. Recently. Okay. And so, and so he said, we didn't think you were in the emotional state to handle it. Now we, we realize that I feel like you're, you're where you need to be. But here's what they don't tell you. For 21 years, my identity was wrapped up into that son of a bitch, that guy, the yeah. guy that blamed himself for all that said. So then I didn't have my identity. Jeez, man. And then I was lost for the second again. time. Right again. Damn. Because then all the stories that you told yourself were complete bullshit. All lies. They're all lies anyway, by the way. They were all lies yeah. anyway because they had no fact base. They had no evidence base. So they're all lies anyway. And so two things happened in that moment. One, I was a little baby for three days and, and drank. And then I went on Omar's podcast and kind of got it all out. Like he got me at a perfect time. Sure. And I realized something in that moment. And this is, this is a powerful moment. I was the son of a bitch to my dad, like a real fucking asshole. Like we didn't speak for six years. Wow. Can you imagine the pain 
of a man to have to keep that from his son and take that barrage mm-hmm. and not cave. Take the effects and, of and, that in. And then in that moment, I had compassion for what he had been through. Love it. There's a, for anybody, for everybody listening, if you didn't hear a huge message in that, you better hit, you better hit one minute rewind. Cause there is a, there's a massive message in that there is the forgiveness comes from the understanding of what someone else is going through. Even if they're at fault for something to have compassion for another human being that harmed or hurt you means you're now clear of the shit mm-hmm. from the past. That's dude, that's uh that's powerful stuff, man. Dude. And then in the same, in the same interview, <laughs> two breakthroughs on the same interview, I realized that my whole life I thought I was trying to appease my father. Yep. But it was actually the, the, the approval of my mother that I was seeking. How did you figure that out? Um, I realized that I've always put her up on a pedestal um, and thought that she could do no wrong and always blame my dad and realized that it was actually shifted because what I was doing in my life, and I've never spoke to you about this, and M1 taught me this, was I was putting men up in my life, men that I respected, up on a pedestal and they were in a emotional contract with me that they didn't even know about. And the moment that they wronged me, I would like fucking go into a tailspin. They didn't even know we were in a thing. I, I, I love that. I, I, I'm looking for something. I literally just wrote down this morning. Keep going, but you just reminded me. No, it's, 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 it's wild because here's the, here's the, here's the rub. Here's the rub. My question to everyone that I talk to and my clients is, how many goals, how many things in your life have you set up based on false narratives and false triggered emotions? That's very, that's actually a really big question to ask it again. Yeah. How many things, how many goals do you write down? How many things have you moved towards? How many relationships are you in? How many friendships are you in? How many things do you want in life? that are based off of a false narrative or a triggered emotion. That's not even who you truly are. Dude, completely inauthentic. Most of my corporate coaching clients that are, you know, of, of a certain age, like near retirement, they've lived uh, 20, 40 year, um, either, maybe some of them own businesses, some of them don't like, I'm talking about just clients in the past, I'm not talking about active clients. Uh, and pretty much everybody's in the same boat, but they've been doing that exact same thing. I was doing that exact same thing, building my, my real estate business in the beginning. All I was doing was, was it's called a covert contract. That's what I was thinking. That's what you reminded me of. It's a covert contract. The person has no idea that they're in contract with you and you are doing something to get a certain reaction. And then when it doesn't happen, you're like, you know, it goes through, it goes in like three steps. It's like, you're pissed off, disappointed. You're a baby. You're crying. You're pissed off, whatever. And then it goes to like alcohol, drugs, you know, actions that are detrimental. And then it can go to like rage and physical abuse and all kinds of crazy shit. But I was building my real estate business for my dad just to say, I'm proud of you and I love you. No shit. Yeah. No shit. And yeah. And here's the secret. They don't tell you. <laughs> He it's, ne- it's never coming. It's so interesting because in, at the end of um, 2019, I was in um, some pretty high level landmark courses and, and uh, doing some coaches training. And I discovered that I literally discovered that like they broke me down. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God, that's it. Like, that's mm-hmm. it. Like 
I want unconditional love from my mom. And I just want my dad to say, I love you. And I'm proud of you. Now, look, if you ever meet yeah. my dad or you hear my dad on the podcast, my dad is an incredible dude. He's my hero. He's my mentor. He's my idol, my model. And like, I, I associated with this. I said, I said to my dad, cause I figured this out. And then I had to have, obviously I had to enroll him to again, let him off the hook for my resentment yeah. shit I was holding. I said, you know, if you ever hugged somebody, like my dad and I were very close, we've been close my whole life. My dad sacrificed a lot of his personal life for me when I was a kid to hang out and spend time with me. And I said, look, you know, it's like, it's like you can hug somebody, but you have a tennis ball on your chest and it's touching chest mm. to chest. So you can touch them, feel them. You can, you can put your head up next to them, but you still feel something in the way. And that's what that was. And drilling all the way down to that, instead of going to my dad and saying, dad, I discovered something. I, I, uh, I realized that you love me. I know that you do so much for me. You give me so much time. That's your way you show love. I, I, I discovered something that I want to hear. I love you. And I, and I'm proud of you more from you. Right. But I, you can't mm -hmm. say that because then you're putting it on them, but yeah. it's not on them because they don't know that contract. So what I had to say to my dad was dad, I want to apologize to you for not giving you the space and being the person that you can be free to say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And that's, mm -hmm. that's something I really am sorry about. And he was like, holy shit, do you think I don't love you? And I said, no, not at all. It's just the opposite. But I've been harboring some resentment because you don't say it. And, mm -hmm. you know, long story short, he'll talk about it on the podcast next episode. But like, he lost his mom when he was very young. And that mm -hmm. hurt him. And that day, his wiring hit love yeah. affection like emotion and then he went through a really rough period of his life and then he he you know he's looking at me as the person on earth that he created and that and and could could fuck him up the most right my mom yeah. can do some damage but i'm the person that could probably do the most damage same with you and your dad you and your mom mm -hmm. and if if in that event that i that he would say something and share emotion and feeling with me which is what which was not a strong suit because he just never got taught that like most most people and I would deny him that return or reciprocation, fucking mm -hmm. crush him, crush him. No, so it's, we, we as children don't allow our parents to be humans. <laughs> right. We put them on a I mean, I know it's like the simplest statement in the world, but okay. as I peel back the layers, right? And so in the vein of that, and, I, and I, I, I fucking remember it like it was yesterday. I did a podcast about it. 45, 30-minute conversation with my dad behind my work at the time. And I said, listen, I'm gonna tell you the story because you'll get, you, you'll love this story. Yeah. So there's two parts to the story. So I said, listen, I have never, since 17, I have never take ownership of anything that went on the way I acted. I said, today, right. I take full ownership. And I said, from now on, whether or not we're good or not, I just want you to know that I take ownership. I release you of everything. And so when I walked away from that phone call, I felt like shackles just off me, like shackles of bullshit, right? But here's the kicker. I didn't have my breakthrough moment till two months later. And so I was rented an Airbnb. We're in the hills, in the hill country. And I'm there with some friends and my wife's doing, my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time is doing yoga upstairs. And I'm really stoned. And uh, there's a three-tier thing and it's fog like you can't see in front of you like it's so foggy and we're in the mountains and i'm listening to kings of leon yeah. 
and I'm feeling something like, you know, you're feeling like you're just like your mind's in this place. Like you're kind of meditating, walking. And I sat out on the edge of this huge patio or this huge deck, like out over the whole mountain fog, Kings of Leon's like turned up 10. And in that moment, I just broke in half. And it was March 2nd, 730 in the morning, uh, two years, three, three years ago. And I cried for like 20 minutes. And in that moment, I forgave myself uh, for everything that went on for 20 years. And I felt like at that moment, I restarted my whole life. Like I restarted everything. And then I was in M1 and it was the first time where I could be around successful men that didn't drink. I know that sounds so crazy to say. Or didn't have an issue. Like didn't have a challenge with it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, so my business partners at the time were like, look, dude, if you've ever thought about stopping, just, just try, like, just fucking try. Right. So I go like, I'm like, I'm gonna do whole 30. I'm gonna do whole 30. Okay, great. I'm gonna do whole 30. I make it like 26 days and I'm like, I have to have a drink. So I have a drink and then I'm mad because I had a drink and I'm like, I didn't even like that drink. <laughs> and then so like, so I went on for like another month and a half and I was like, okay, here's the deal. January's like ninth. I'm going to fucking do it. Like, I'm going to go for it. Like, 60 days, I could do it. Well, shit, I got to 60. And I was like, and I was like, I was, I'm, I'll be 100% clear. Omar was like, bro, you're a rhino. You need something. So I was smoking weed. I was like, I was like, I was smoking weed, but I was not drinking, whatever, right? So I make it to 60. I make it to 90. I'm like, fuck, dude, I feel good. I feel good. I'm starting to lose some weight. Yeah. And then I was like, what if I try it with no weed too? Mm. I was like, I was like, oh, that's scary. like, it, I literally got like nervous and like started sweating. And I was like, just <laughs> like seven days. So I go seven days, I go 14 days, I go 21 days. And then I'm like, well, fuck, I'm going to start training for Ironman. It's like, I don't need a drink. So I'll just go for like six months. So I go for six months. Then I go for a year. And so now it's been two it's been two years and three weeks um i've lost 70 pounds Uh, i've lost eight pant sizes uh and i eight pant sizes and i've shed and it didn't hey by the way guys it didn't like this year's been crazy as fuck too so it's not like it's been roses but 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 i've shed probably about 15 versions of myself I, i realized that i was a fucking chameleon sure yeah, you had to blend. I mean, think about it. When you were 17, you had to blend. But, mm-hmm. but also, I, I, what I heard from you was that you have the same story, same very similar story as me. Like, uh, grew up in the, in the inner, in, in, not the inner city, like, not, not like total like chaos, but like I grew up in the city, in Baltimore City, till we were, I was like four. Then we moved to uh, the suburbs. But my dad decided to buy a new house, buy a new car, and quit his corporate job at the same time and my mom is in a body cast in the living room of the new house full fucking body cast with a spinal fusion my dad decides that's the good time and so the same thing it was it was like rocky rocky broke broke they're all working nights my dad's going to kind of trying to go to night school my mom's working nights and day shifts and like all of a sudden the cars got fancier i didn't know any different so like the the but the people people around me started saying like oh you you guys rich now like your dad have money so yeah. kind of the same story here's where i want to go back to real quick sure what 
for the audience listening, because you know for a fact that there's somebody listening that's like, holy shit, Austin, that's like me, man. That's I, I, I needed to hear this today. Um, there has, there's got to be catalysts and spring pieces or spring or um, mm-hmm. springboards and, and, and checkpoints in there because like I want to I want to know what Kings of Leon song that was because I want to just hear the registration that was going through your mind oh dude I think it was uh I, w- I have to look but I think it's come back down off their, their down south down yeah. south off their uh off that sunset album it's the it. tits yeah so like there's something that happened before that that you like there's you know a, what it was? Yeah. You know what it was? My dreams and my belief of myself was so small with yeah. my circle that I was in. I'll tell you, I, have never, I haven't barely told this story. Uh, Lucas, Lucas Piper was running GoBundance yeah. Instagram, yeah. and they showed a picture of a house. And um, he said, hey, DM me. He said, hey, if you know any houses in the area, I'm a real estate investor. I'm in buying. So all I had was three Airbnbs at the time. This was new to me. I was like, I knew I wanted to be a real estate guy. And I sent him a message back and I said, yeah, kiss my ass. I'm going to buy it first. And he was like, oh, I see you're a little spicy. He's like, so let's meet for coffee tomorrow. I think I have something that will work for you. And so he gets me talking to me about M1. And I was like, he's like, why would you want to join this? And I said, because my dreams are bigger than the people around me. And he goes, he goes, you're in, let's go. And so here's the truth. Carolyn uh, Colleen told me this during our podcast and it forever changed my life. Because I realized in direct relation, this is what happened to me. Sometimes, she said, sometimes you don't believe in yourself enough to change, that you have to borrow the love of somebody else and what they see in you Till you're strong enough to believe it in yourself. Yep, I love that. I absolutely love that. And when I got into M1 and I was so excited to be around these players and these dudes had like 30 Airbnbs and I was like, shit, this is amazing. But they started telling me, dude, there's something there, bro. You've got something. You communicate with people. And then they started seeing things in me that I couldn't see in myself. Yep. And then you get around people like Matty A and he's like, bro, you're, you're a killer. Like I just, I got started before you like, just stay on the path. That's what changed it for me, man. But here's the bigger question. And what I tell everybody, we set goals. We always set goals. Like I don't do this. I'll do this. But what I try to tell everybody that's trying to shift their life is two things. One health is the quickest way to get small wins. And then, and then here's the bigger thing. This is what flipped everything around for me. I thought it was the world gave up on me. I thought the world was against me. And what I realized is what killed me was breaking the promises to myself. But how and did you I, clarity? How did you align with that? Because as a, as a drug addict, as a mm-hmm. alcohol addict, as a, as a person that was dependent on a substance to, to calibrate yourself and bring yourself into some kind of alignment, mm-hmm. how do you break that shit? What are the, one of the things I do, here's, the, here's, the, here's what they don't tell you about, about drugs and alcohol that's the scariest thing in the world. Everybody knows what they need to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, they're not idiots, right? But here's the kicker. To remove yourself from that identity Thanks. is the scariest thing that exists on the planet. And so I've come up with a way. I learned it from Ed Milet in an interview he did. 
I, I kind of play with it. I mess around. I'm not the, uh, the, I'm not the most traditional coach. I like to do some weird shit. Yeah. What we do with my clients is the reason that you can't move past your shit is because your, your attachment and association to it yep. is everything. Totally. And so what we do is we create a false character for that guy. And so like, let's say that guy for me was Tasmanian devil. Like he got in the room he had energy, but no, he never did any deals. He was a drug addict. And so, so every time I started acting like that guy, I would just say, oh, that's just Tasmanian devil. And then I would slowly but surely remove my disassociation from that identity. And it was just that guy over there. And then I created somebody that I wanted to be. And that guy's name was Clint Eastwood. And he was the hat on with the cigar and the poncho. And that dude didn't run you know, deals came to him. That guy was confident. That guy was, and so I started, when I walked in a room, I would just say Clint Eastwood. And then what happened over a span of like two, three months, I just became that new version and that old bad parts of me just went away. And one of the greatest skills, one of the greatest things I've ever heard in a workshop, I heard it from a yoga workshop. And she said, I want you to write three people that you admire. And I want you to write 10 qualities about who they are. Now I want you to go back, I want you to cross out their name, and I want you to write your name on top of it. Because there's no way that you could see those qualities in that person if they weren't already inside of you. That's, I love that, I'm, I'm, writing, I'm writing quickly. I, I really like that a lot. That's so cool. Dude, your greatness as a human being and who you are, your gifts, are every, they're all inside of you. As a coach, somebody asked me what my why was the other day. It's to move mountains away from my clients because you're telling yourself all this bullshit. Right. And all I'm doing is clearing up the forest for you so you can walk on your own path. We're all great. Yeah. We just, we have the, the it's, it's tethers. It's tethers from the past. It's tethers on us that, that hold us back. And the older we get, the more solidified they get because we, they get ingrained hard for you know, decades. You know, what you know what entrepreneurship is? And I've, I've experienced it two years ago or a year ago when I lost 30 grand in a, in a business. I, I, life in, in business is like being on a big oak tree and there's a ton of branches and you walk out on one of those branches and you get to the end of the branch and you look around and you go, I don't even know why the fuck I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it, that's what it is. Because you're out on that branch because of something that you, some reason that you think you need to be there instead of the actual reason of who you are, why you need to be there. hundred percent. A hundred percent. I posted something today about so many people ask me, like, I want to coach with you. I want to learn. I want to, I want you to help me go here and start this business and do all this stuff. And I love starting businesses and helping people do that. Just, it's very, it's a lot of fun. And, um, the personal development has to come into place and they're like, but it's so hard to understand where to start and all this. And I'm like, no, it's not. The, the work is between who you are now and who you want to be. That's it. There's your personal work. It's the gap. That's all we got to do is fill in the gap. We'll look at, we'll look at exercise. Like you said, with the girl with bulimia, we can look at exercises to do now to help you start moving forward and getting traction. We look at the past and the shit you have to clear up that you keep dragging into the present to make your decisions in the present for the future. And then where you are and where you want to be that gap is the work too in the, in the doing, right? That work is the doing work. And, and there's a book, uh, 
that I think is a foundational book that's taught me a lot. It's called What You Say When You Talk to Yourself. And what we don't understand is that 90% of what goes on in us is our subconscious mind. And when you have bad programming, you have to reprogram. So they, so here's a, here's a quick example. You want to stop being a smoker. You don't put down the cigarettes. You tell yourself for 30 days, I'm healthy and I don't smoke cigarettes. Right. And then, and then one day you wake up and go, I don't even know why I had the cigarette in my hand. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. It's just, it's a reprogram and everybody has the capacity to reprogram everybody. And if you don't choose to reprogram, then you are choosing not to reprogram. It's that simple. You're not a loser. You're not a failure. You're not, not as good as that guy. Like I, your story, I want to wrap up in your yeah. story is, I, you know, what's cool, dude. I'm glad I didn't know your, your full story. I'm glad we discovered it here because it, it, allow, it allowed for surprise for me. Yeah. I, I'm so curious. And, and, and for the audience listening, if, if you want to level your shit up, then go to people like me or Austin or other people that I have here and just say, I'm so curious about your life. I'd love to ask you a couple of questions and I'm willing to do X, Y, and Z in return for your time. Right. 100%. Don't be afraid of that. The worst they're going to say is no. The best they're going to say is yes. And the middle ground is they're curious about you because you're curious about them. Curiosity helped me get out of some real tight jams. And, I'm, and it's helped you too. Tell, tell me if this resonates with you. I tell all my coaching clients, this is probably one of the hardest things they don't get about me. They go, you're giving me money and you're coaching me. I say, no, I'm not coaching you. And they go, what do you mean? I go, I'm coaching you to be the best version of yourself so you can be a better husband, father. Uh, your, your kids can get the benefit. The ripple, impact, the ripple impact of me coaching you could be thousands, could be millions. Could be millions. Oh, dude. I had a conversation with someone who was like, uh, Ian, you're, you know, yeah, you have maybe a, a hundred coaching clients, you know, cause I have corporate and I have uh, some big group stuff with Aaron and, and front runner events. And, um, and dude, I, I fucking, I love coaching. I mean, God, I love coaching. It's like where my heart is. dude. I, I love coaching. I love getting a tough client. Yeah. I feel like it's a Rubik's cube. Yeah. I'm just... down. Yep. Because here's the deal. Like selling real estate, it, it, it has a reward, but most of the time it's a paycheck because the reward of helping someone, you know, get $10,000 less for a, all of a house price. And there's only so much reward there, but, but helping somebody shift and change who they are for the world, the mission that they're on and, and like what they actually do here. That is the ripple effect you're talking about. Like dude, that is exponential. That's exponential. And, and, and think of it this way. And this is one of the things, so you don't, you don't know this because we just launched it this week, but yeah. uh, I, I had the honor of having, running into Tim Road in Austin yep. um, and uh, uh, Pat Hyben and, and yep. David Osborne. And we get to talking about my story and he introduced me to these two young kids who have been in One Life Fully Live. So we actually started uh, One Life Fully Live Recovery Mastermind. Nice. Love it. And so... We love 12 steps, but we think they missed in the boat on some things. We want them to thrive in real estate. And my goal, my mission is everybody's ready to catch people after they get out of rehab. Yeah. I'd like to stop some shit before they have to go to rehab. So yeah. that's what I'm seeking. Is, and that's why I take on the young clients, um, you know, that have been through some stuff and, and just try to shake some stuff loose and get them some options that are different than what they're, what's out there. Love it, man. Absolutely love it. Well, dude. 
I think we should do this again. Well, actually, no, because I'm going to be on your show. We're going to share more. Yeah, you're going to be on me for my show. So, yeah. And, and by the way, like, I really mean it. If there's someone out there that fascinates you, don't have a mindset of scarcity that says, oh, well, they're in the same business. And I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, like, dude, Austin is a podcast host and personal development coach, as am I. And I wanted him here because us aligning, it, it's powerful for, for us and everybody out there. So, don't have that mindset of scarcity. Have a mindset of abundance of like, what could I learn from this dude? What can he learn from me? What can uh, my, the people who listen to me and follow me, what can they learn and vice versa? So mm -hmm. if there's someone out there that fascinates you or you're intrigued by, or you just want to know how the hell they do what they do, like, don't just ask them what they do. Ask them about where they've come from, right? Because that's, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's the juices there, the, 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 the equation, the formula who they are today is the equals, but the formula is, is, in, the, is in the past. And then mm, give them something that you will do for them, but don't be stupid about it. Be, be intelligent, be smart, be, be purposeful with it and say to them, hey, I, I researched you and I know you like golfing on these days or boating on these days or doing this with your kids. I went ahead and bought you a, a, a tea time at this place just for one hour of your time to ask you questions. Like, be reciprocal, but be purposeful with your reciprocation. So when people come to me and say, hey, man, I'll trade you an hour of my time for an hour of yours. And I go, well, you're not, you're not, you don't understand what I value in my hour or how much I request for my hour. So now, now I'm annoyed, right? So come back to me, research me, give me something I will bite on so that I have to give you my time if you're not prepared to pay for it. That's totally cool. Would you agree with that? 100%. I think... What, what I've kind of done, because uh, I always like, hey, can you reach out to me? And I'll like pop on the phone with the call right there. But I've scheduled calls with people and they're like, well, I'll do anything for an hour of your time to talk to you. And then they don't show up to the call. And yeah. so, yeah, so I have a new rule. <laughs> you have to read four agreements first and then you have to tell me about it to get on a call with me. Yeah, I just came up with it like a couple weeks ago because I got so frustrated. Reminds the surrender experiment. Yeah. <laughs> you have to read the surrender experiment. You read the surrender experiment and then answer three questions. Like you have to gatekeep. You have to gatekeep. All right, we can go down this. Maddie, Maddie, Maddie was talking about this the other day that Osborne's done it with him back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the cool thing. Go as high as possible. The my podcasting journey started because I went to Pat Hyben and I said at 5 30 in the morning, I said, dude, I had this dream, this vision that I want to learn from you and I wanna I want to co-host with you on real estate rock stars. And he was like, come on tomorrow. Like, that was it. <laughs> yeah. he goes, what are you going to do for me? And I said, I'll do all the back end. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll help you with, like, I'll do, I'll do whatever, whatever you need me to do for the podcast, but I don't understand enough about the podcast. So we worked out some other stuff that I actually knew about. And then I just started hosting, just started hosting. I was scared. I was nervous. Like go back and listen to like episode you know, in the eight, in the early 800s, you'll hear me. And I am not the guy that I am today. That was aggressive, pissed off me early yeah. 19. Um, actually, maybe late 18. But anyway, so so go to someone that makes you nervous. But also remember that it's not about where they are in line for the money they have. It's about who they are and the mindset they have. Because if they're a shitty person, but they got the money and the toys and the, and the you know, the stuff that you want, you're probably not going to get the depth from them that you really need to fill your whole, you know, the whole, the whole picture. So make sure that you understand someone's mindset and their agenda around things, because other than that, 
you're only going to learn a piece of the, a piece of the pie. I love it. All right, dude, we're wrapping hour long. We're wrapping. Yeah. So everybody, uh, this is Austin Lenny construct your life podcast, right? And, mm -hmm. um, dude, you're on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Clubhouse. You're everywhere. I've, I've got a new app. No, I mean, yeah, it's, I don't know. There's so much, there's so much out there. Yeah. So much shit. Well, dude, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for being here, man. Your, your story is awesome. I, I really, really, really appreciate your, your level of clarity and authenticity, and honesty and sharing. And, and I will now reciprocate the same to you. You can ask me anything. I'll get deep with you. Perfect. Uh, and I, I love know, it. I know the audience got something. So um, everybody, if you want to learn more about Austin, you can find him on social media or you can hit me up mentalpurposepodcast.com or my website, ianlobos.com, and you can find all the stuff in the show notes and everything about Austin and all his links and his videos. and, and some Yeah, and, and, and if anybody, just austinlenny.com. We go. just built it, so brand new. L-I-N-N-E-Y. There you go. Austin, yeah. thanks, brother. I appreciate it, my man. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to the Men on Purpose podcast where our mission is to educate, elevate, and activate every man to truly live their best, most fulfilling life possible. To find out more about the podcast, our guests, or becoming a man on purpose, visit menonpurposepodcast.com and choose your most purposeful path forward.